0: on my website at shalomkline.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at shalomkline. It's going to be a jam packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. That's right. Let's jump right into it. My first guest is the author of Beyond Haiku Pilots Write Poetry. That's right. Our first guest is Captain Linda Powells, an instructor pilot on the Boeing 787 and a former aviation columnist for the Orange County Register uh captain powells welcome to the program
1: good morning shalom thank you for having me
0: oh it's so fantastic to have you and it's inspirational uh the work that you're doing i have to say when i have uh, boarded a boeing 787 in the past i have not thought of my pilot as an author that writes poetry so there must be a story behind it linda can you enlighten myself and our listeners
1: Well, yes, um, I've been writing personally poetry for a while. I've never really published it because um, it just uh, didn't come to pass. But about five years ago, I had a bright idea to start a poetry thread on an internal pilot discussion forum that was frequented by mostly men pilots. And you imagine that um, the discussion of that uh, poetry uh, was not uh, all positive at the beginning. So that was the genesis of this. Uh, The pilots took a liking to it. And then they started to compose uh, haiku and short poems. And um, about, I would say, the beginning of the COVID uh, problem, I decided that I would like to see if I could publish that. And um, and that became Beyond Haiku, Pilots Write Poetry.
0: So... Linda, when did you develop a love for poetry? When was that in your life, and, and how did that intersect with your career as, a, uh, as an expert uh, pilot and an instructor?
1: It wasn't really a shalom, a love of poetry. I think it was more a practice uh, in a meditative sense, especially the haiku-like poetry, that assisted me with the stressors of the job. And I was enrolled in a PhD program uh, that I have not completed. I had to withdraw from that. But I was looking at poetry as uh, a wellness uh, tool. And that's what prompted the like of poetry.
0: That's incredible. And Linda, I have to dig in a little bit deeper into, uh, into the response that you received um, from some of your fellow uh, pilots. Uh, is there a certain personality type, a persona of of a of, of, uh, of a pilot um, that that might enjoy a certain uh, a certain type of writing?
1: I don't know that I have a good answer to that. Uh, pilots, all of us, we share a certain dry wit and directness. Uh, sometimes you can call it gallows humor. <laughs> so we understand uh, in a fraternal sense. Uh, what's involved with the profession and it doesn't necessarily have to be airline pilots. I'm talking aviators in general, including military aviators. Uh, so who would enjoy this? I've been surprised Shalom at the response in all honesty, uh, how many people have written me publicly posting reviews and privately to say how much they enjoyed this little poetry chat book that's illustrated by children of pilots.
0: Quite inspirational and uh, quite inspirational. Once again, I'm chatting with Captain Linda Powell, an instructor pilot on Boeing 787s and the author of Beyond Haiku, Pilots Write Poetry. Uh, the book is showcasing 51 original haikus, 20 short poems, and seven pieces of philosophical prose uh, uh, from uh, 38 pilots. with beautiful illustrations from their children. So, Linda, what's really, really inspirational is that the, this book's proceeds are going to a very important cause. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Uh, Yes, uh, the proceeds from sales of the book will go directly to the Allied Pilots Association. That's our collective bargaining agent. Uh, We have a emergency relief and scholarship fund. The book was published while pilots were furloughed. That was the intent of it. And we didn't know with COVID whether they would be recalled, when they would come back, what would happen with the industry. So it's a dual use fund. Uh, if they're not being used for emergency relief, they will be used for scholarships and scholarships for flying.
0: Wow. And so, Linda, what is next? I understand that there's, uh, this has sparked a number of additional works. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes, Shalom. Uh, this, in my vision, when I started this project, I envisioned four books, a series. Uh, I'm working on the second book, and uh, that should be out by the end of the summer. It's called Beyond Haiku. Women Pilots Write Poetry. That is also going to be illustrated by children of pilots. We already have the cover that has been out, a collaborative effort. It's a beautiful cover. And the third book is Seasons of a Pilot's Life. The fourth book will be Military Pilots Write Poetry. All proceeds from the series will go to different aviation scholarships for women, for example, for um, young people who are interested in flying as a profession.
0: Amazing. And I understand you are married uh, to a pilot as well. Frederick uh, has also uh, been a pilot. And uh, so I'm curious, uh, what was Frederick's reaction as well as your two children um, and, uh, and, and your entire family to uh, the work that you've been putting in?
1: Well, Shalom, that's a fantastic question. <laughs> uh, my husband is not uh, poetic in nature. He enjoyed the book quite a bit and has seen the amount of labor that has been involved in producing a small poetry chapbook. My daughter, um, who is a graduate of the Naval Academy and is uh, an officer in the Navy right now, uh, she's doing civilian flight training, and she has helped me in the book. She's written one poem that's published. My son uh, is living in Maine. He's uh, just graduated college, and he will write a poem for the next book. So I don't know what to, what to say about this, <laughs> except that uh, it's uh, been pretty cool. The path is pretty cool. <laughs> uh,
0: that, that is very, very cool. And listen, as long as they're supportive, that is, that is wonderful. And it really, really is fantastic that, again, the proceeds from Beyond Haiku are going to the Allied Pilots Association Emergency Relief and Scholarship Fund to provide support for pilots that have been impacted by the industry effects of COVID-19. And that is just book one. So a, that is a, uh, a great way to, uh, to encourage our listeners to get on Amazon. So uh, Linda, what
1: is the book's name again? I'm sorry, the book's name? Correct. Yes, uh, Beyond Haiku, Pilots Write Poetry.
0: Beyond Haiku, Pilots Write Poetry. Uh, it was published in December of 2020 and that is book one from Captain Linda Powell's uh, pilot's Write poetry. Uh, so that's that's very very exciting. So Linda, um, what is your uh, what is your uh, wh- what has your uh, instruction been like in this uh, in this day and age of COVID? I have to go back to your uh, to world as a pilot. Um, what what are some of your colleagues saying, and how are they holding up in these very very challenging times?
1: Well, in all honesty, uh, things have been difficult. Um, We, uh, instructing in the simulator, of course, uh, we're very conscious of COVID protocols, uh, but we have to work uh, in close quarters together, uh, and there's always a concern with that. But pilots are very resilient uh, in nature, and we adapt. So we're there uh, doing the best and safest uh, that we can, and uh, continuing through this pandemic so that we can provide safe and efficient service to our passengers.
0: Well, that's what it's all about. And that is yet again, another reason to purchase a copy of Beyond Haiku, uh, because the uh, the proceeds from this first book are going to support those pilots that have been impacted. And we all know some of them. So Linda Powell, um, thank you so much for joining us. And one more time, can you share the name of the book and where people can learn more?
1: The name of the book is Beyond Haiku, Pilots Write Poetry. It is for sale on Amazon. Our website is beyondhaiku.com.
0: Beyondhaiku.com. And uh, when is that next book coming out?
1: I hope the next book will be out by the end of summer 2021. And Shalom, it has surprises in it. I hope to be back with you to discuss those.
0: I hope to have you back here, Linda, as well. And uh, thank you for, uh, for all that you're doing for the industry Thank you for all that you're doing for great organizations, and thank you for bringing a little bit of humor and levity into, uh, I know, what can be a very, very challenging time in this day and age. Uh, Linda Powell, thank you so much for joining us on Get Down to Business, and I look forward to welcoming you back very, very soon. We are going to squeeze in a quick break uh, and more small business jobs and entrepreneurship when we return. A shout out to our amazing friends and supporters of Get Down to Business, including uh, Chicago limo.com, our good friend Irina Freeman contact them for all of your transportation needs as well as Tom Narvali from healthclanschicago.com once again we are going to squeeze in a quick break more small business jobs and entrepreneurship when we return after a quick break welcome back to get down to business the world is changing so rapidly, and we're all feeling those effects uh, from the pandemic to the election. We're reeling from those transformations, both societal and individual. So as the physical world's in flux, 2021's digital marketing, marketing landscape has been shifting day by day. That's why I'm joined by my next guest, Tobin Lehman, who is the author of Ride the Tornado, a book just published just about a month and a half ago, and he wants to make sure the businesses aren't in limbo. So Tobin, welcome to the program.
4: I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: It's great to have you. You are the founder of a nationally recognized marketing agency called New North. So Tobin, tell me a little bit about your background and how you came to uh, sort of uh, develop that uh, that subject matter expertise around digital marketing, uh, both in your practice, as well as, of course, the book Ride the Tornado.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm- kind of a lucky generation, um, kind of coming out of school, you know, when the design and marketing field, when digital was really kind of started to happen, right? I mean, when, um, you know, I remember when Facebook came in the market, right? I mean, so people think some of these things that existed forever, but uh, before, you know, there was traditional marketing, digital came along um, before Google was really the Google we well know now. And so, there's just this tide that's obviously this almost like a tidal wave that's kind of hit um, the marketing field and just our lives in general. And so just being in the lucky generation to be kind of in front of that, I've always had to adapt, always had to kind of jump in and understand what was going on with digital marketing, what is this new tool, what is that? And you know, I started my career right in the digital marketing agency world. So in the agency world from day one, you know, we get asked to figure these things out, right? Like what what's going on with this? What's being what's going on with these different tools? I mean, what's the Latest trends, and as people try to figure it out, the, the biggest challenge that we have is really figuring out how we figure it out, right? The, the kind of the meta work of like, well, what's our process for understanding what to do with a clubhouse or what to do with an Instagram when it comes on or how to adjust when everyone who is in an office now goes remote and how we market to people when cookies are no longer an issue. And so we're at the front end of really understanding and managing all of this change in the digital space, which is already changing quickly. And so really Ride the Tornado, um, this whole concept came from just answering these questions over and over again in my life now, 20 years in the agency world, and just bringing that process out for others to realize, hey, rapid change, even though it, you know, last year was a major kind of a microscope on change, right? It was a huge, huge change world. But it's been happening. It's always been happening, especially on the digital side. And this book really represents a, a framework of how we can think about change, how we can think about digital change, especially on the marketing side. And really get a plan for how to manage change. That's really the key. It's not so much figuring out the trick or the hook or the little, you know, gotcha in the next little social app, but really what's the plan we have as an organization to really embrace change as it happens and then figure out if it works for us and how it doesn't work. I mean, a great example now is everyone's trying to figure out what's going on with Clubhouse. Like what do we do with this? It's a new thing. Everyone's talking about it. And so that's the question, what do you do with it? Well, Using a framework like Ride the Tornado and the Artex framework, you can answer that question. You can kind of figure out how you're going to approach it as a company, how you'll maybe make a small investment, maybe test it, look at some data, and iterate from there. So Ride the Tornado kind of just almost boiled out, so to speak, of just years of doing this over and over again and realizing people really need not just tips and tricks, but they need a framework. They need a way to think about it so they can lead their organization, whether they're a CMO, whether they're a CEO, whether they're a VP of sales, even in their own kind of world they're working in. How do we kind of manage this change from a digital perspective and, and kind of take, take charge of it?
0: Absolutely. And once again, I'm chatting with Tobin Lieven, the, uh, the author of Ride the Tornado. And Tobin, in your book, you talk about uh, an interesting theory, which is that market fluctuations due to societal events can actually help your marketing strategy and your sales thrive. So explain that concept, because that is almost counterintuitive to many of our listeners. Everybody wants to avoid disruption. You're saying mm-hmm. embrace it.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we can look at all of the things. And there's a great saying and it. I, I have to kind of pull it up real quick in my brain here. Um, but, you know, as I think it was um, Warren Buffett was saying, you know, one of his favorite lines is, you know, when the tie goes out, everyone see who is not wearing shorts, right? Um, there's a element there's of risk when change happens. Um, but there's a huge opportunity, too, when you can really start to see when people are you know, hunkering down and people are moving with the trend. People are looking at change and maybe they're freezing up. We saw this all across the board last year. Um, I mean, in the marketing field, I mean, every CEO, every business owner knows the first thing that comes to their mind when things hit is let's cut marketing. <laughs> like let's cut, let's cut the marketing budget, but that's the exact opposite. And we have, you know, a couple of different cases from last year when we were able to work with our customers to not do that and take advantage. I mean, we saw ad costs drop incredibly, but people were still searching. I mean business was still moving forward. And so the 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 kind of the deeper work of that is like thinking about how you look at change kind of personally and professionally to say there's always opportunity, right? It's not that there's good times and bad times. There's always opportunity. And the point is, can you look and see where the opportunity might be in that change and take advantage of it? And if you just have a, you know, looking at your competitor or looking at the market leader kind of mentality. You won't be able to break away. You won't be able to take advantage of that big change and that big opportunity because you'll just be you know, following, following someone else.
0: And Tobin, you talked a couple of minutes ago of how you have spent the past two decades uh, working with brands like Southern States, Pfizer, Kimberly-Clark, and so many others. And the traditional philosophy is that you need to plan things out. You need to have everything documented on your whiteboard. You need to have a long-term project plan but you argue that that is actually an outdated marketing strategy and you propose yeah. some steps to counteract this once foolproof model. Can you give just the tidbits of that uh, for our listeners to hopefully put in practice as they move into the week ahead?
4: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And, you know, I think sometimes I take it for granted, you know, being in this space for so long, but I mean, everyone can just take a moment and, and think about what their 2020 marketing plan looked like. Right. And, and the reality is things change too quickly I mean, COVID was a huge explosion of change, but in the same sense, I mean, I've never in 20 years seen a marketing plan that was an annual plan get executed all the way through. It's just, it's a kind of false tenant, right? It's over planning. And I talk about that a little bit in the book. So there really is a process of planning and really still keeping goals focused, whether you're OKR or Traction or Gazelle or every kind of business you, you run and how you think about goals. Looking at marketing as achieving goals and breaking into smaller sections, right? Looking at the 90 day I know there's a couple of books been written on the 90-day kind of plan and workflow, and we kind of embrace that a little bit too. Quarters are about as much as you can really wrap your hands around and execute in a good basis. But you still can have annual goals. You can still have quarterly goals. You can have these pieces, but not to overplan. Things change too much. I mean, if you had a whole plan for last year, it was a huge waste of time and effort because you had to pivot so quickly. And even though we hope that that doesn't happen again for everyone this year, um, there's still the reality of that. You should plan as much as you can to kind of foresee in the future, but not overplan. Not go too far the annual plan is, is just not gonna work anymore with the way things change and even technologies. I mean if something changes technologically, you know, maybe Facebook goes away or something like that. If you have a laugh at that now, but when it starts to shift, it they won't. So it's like when when does this kind of work get too far into planning and you start making you know bad decisions or sending too much energy. And so the best solution is to kind of short plan, look at ninety days, make your plans from there and then readjust and replan, but kind of maybe always be planning a little bit, but not not stretch things out too far and go rote in your thinking as you go forward.
0: And uh, Tobin, I have to ask um, for the small business owners that are listening uh, to the program. Is all of this content, is all of this advice relevant to businesses big and small? Or is there anything that entrepreneurs, small business owners should be doing specifically?
4: Well, it works for both cases, right? For For the large enterprise, it absolutely has impact for them. But for small businesses, they have the lucky benefit of being nimble. Right, that's, that's the one thing I see as we work with, you know, billion-dollar companies, and we work with, you know, thousand-dollar companies. In some cases, is just really the ability to be nimble, to make sharp decisions, to make sharp moves, and take advantages. I mean, some companies can't move quick enough to make a a move, just to bureaucracy or the size or politics. But as a small business owner, really being able to grip that and embrace change and say, like, let's make a, let's make an experiment here, let's jump into this, let's go all in on this. Particular marketing effort. Let's experiment. Let's try. That's the freedom you have as a small business owner, and that's where you'll start beating the Goliath. Right. That's how you're going to do that: is to take advantage and move faster than they can. Think more aggressively. So the the ideas work in both cases, but really your nimbleness as a small business is what you you gain when you're small.
0: Fantastic. Well, Tobin Lehman, author of Ride the Tornado and uh, founder of New North, an award-winning digital marketing agency dedicated to helping B two B technology firms grow. Um, we are out of time, and I want to make
4: sure our listeners know where they can find your book, as well as can get in touch with you and your team. Yep, you can go to ridethetornado.com. Um, the URL has got some resources from the book, some of the agendas and plans and whatnot. You can reach out to me there at the website, follow us on social and all that good stuff there. But it's been a pleasure being with you today.
0: Absolutely, a total pleasure. I appreciate you coming on and uh, look forward to uh, continuing to follow your important work. Um, you are listening to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We are going to squeeze in another quick break. Look at my website, shalomkline.com, where you can download podcasts from the past seven plus years of shows all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We are going to squeeze in a quick break and continue our conversations with entrepreneurs from all over the country with advice and information that is relevant to you and your business. Share, rate, review, and subscribe wherever your favorite podcasts are found. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. And I'm thrilled to have a returning guest, Steve Garcho, uh, the president of Foresight Marketing, joining us yet again for a fantastic, fantastic discussion. Steve, welcome back to the program.
2: Well, thank you very much. It's a privilege to be on your show.
0: Absolutely. And what important timing we are in uh, the end of Q1 of 2021, which means that business owners tuning in need to pay attention to marketing and market research and making sure every dollar they're spending is being put to good use. So, Steve, just as a station identification over here, tell us very briefly about your background.
2: Sure. Well, I spent over 20 years at a Fortune 500 medical products company, eventually running the global marketing organization of a billion-dollar division, And, obviously, a big part of my responsibility was making sure we had the right marketing skill set in the department. So I, together with some other marketing VPs of the other divisions, spent a few months identifying the skill sets we thought our marketing folks needed to possess. Because I believe any company can significantly improve financial performance by implementing more impactful marketing. But in order for companies to benefit from their efforts, leadership needs to identify the marketing skills that are important and hire those individuals with those traits.
0: Absolutely. And that's a perfect segue. So let's talk about those traits. Let's talk about those techniques. Um, What are the things that uh, business owners tuning in need to look for
2: uh, in a marketing hire as they grow? Well, I believe that a couple of marketing uh, traits, would be one, strategic planning. And that's defined as the skill to understand and pursue long-term organizational growth opportunities. So um, some common tasks that require this skill are the marketing plan and the product launch plan. A second one would be what I call decision analytics. Now this describes the logical thought processes that marketing uses to make fact-based, analytically sound decisions. And some things that um, are, are tasks that, that uh, require this would be uh, asking the marketing folks to uh, identify the best return on investment, interpreting market research data, or developing revenue and profitability forecasts.
0: Absolutely. Talent is so important to a business's success and looking for people that, Meet your your vision, your mission, um, but also some of your goals is so so important. so I want to segue into market research because that's a skill that uh, many of the uh, many of the hires, many of the talents uh, that a business owner might bring in will be looking for. Can you define market research and how does it fit into a company's operation?
2: sure so market research is the systematic process of collecting. Analyzing and presenting objective, useful marketing information for problem solving and decision making. Now, I believe it's important to talk about this because many executives view market research as a luxury or as an avoidable expense. And they use as their defense such comments as, well, our sales team is talking to customers every day. They report back what the customers want. The problem is, That approach just isn't good enough to compete successfully in today's world. So the way market research fits is it provides great decision-making facts. So market research is the best way to make sure that a company's products align with customer needs. It helps a business understand competitive activity and therefore respond to it. And it helps identify market niches that may be the most profitable for the company to pursue.
0: Absolutely. And I'm chatting again with the president of Foresight Marketing. And uh, Steve, very briefly, as we come to the close of our time together, can you tell us how market research
2: has helped uh, customers of yours? Sure. Well, um, a startup medical device company had developed uh, a cardiovascular signal so they could measure the heart. Uh, And they use that to predict shock, which is really something that uh, people in emergency rooms Mm -hmm. encounter. And they found that this first market, critical care medicine, required more data uh, before they they would accept the technology. And they couldn't afford that. So I performed market research to identify other markets. And my assessment identified uh, the hemodialysis market as an opportunity. And what this ended up doing is uh, my research ended up helping the company find investors that provided... for seed investment, another 2 million to submit and develop their data for regulatory approval. And what ended up happening is the company successfully commercialized the product, whereas before they never had a chance to make it. So that company's alive today because we perform market research.
0: Amazing. So Steve, you've shared a lot of good information on marketing hires, a lot of good information on market research. Can you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you so they can learn more about all of your
2: services and all of the work that you do? Sure thing, Shalom. Uh, The best way to learn uh, more is to go to my website. That's foresight-consultinginc.com. So that's F-O-R-E-S-I-G-H-T-consultinginc.com. Listeners can also find me on LinkedIn as Steve Garko. Spelled GARCHOW, or they can email me at Steve at Foresight Consulting Well, Steve, thank you so much
0: for joining us on the air. We're going to squeeze in another quick break here and get down to business. When we return, more small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. Thank you. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. I am so excited for this conversation. I'm thrilled to be joined by the managing partners of EF Overwatch. I'm joined by Mike Sorelli and George Randall. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to Get Down to Business.
5: Thank you for having us.
0: Absolutely. So EF Overwatch, um, Mike, I'll start with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about, um, about what you do, and we'll start with you in terms of your background.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Retired Navy SEAL, uh, served 20 years. I I also served in the Marine Corps as a recon Marine on the enlisted side. Uh, Both George and I are Mustangs uh, coming out of the military. Uh, And when I retired, you know, uh, I saw a major gap in talent in the private sector, especially in the small to mid-sized business market. So what George and I did was we created a company called EF Overwatch. And uh, EF Overwatch is an executive search firm. We're also a talent advisory, which is a, a Fancy way of saying a consulting firm, uh, and we place very senior, very high performing leaders into senior management positions in small to midsize businesses, and it's been uh, it's it's taken off. I think uh, above and beyond what George and I would have uh, anticipated. So that's a it's a good problem to have.
0: Well, congratulations on all of your success. And uh, again, I also am thrilled to have uh, your partner in crime, George Randall, on, on with us as well. And you, both of you have co-authored a book called The Talent War, which is a number one Amazon bestseller. So, George, tell us a little bit about the fundamental problem that you and Mike are aiming to, uh, aiming to solve both through EF Overwatch as well as, of course, through your writing.
3: Well, through the writing, first of all, I mean, Mike had called me one night. He had this great idea. He was watching some TV program, and he said, "Hey, we need to write a book." I was like, "Well, yeah," and, and we got after it. And uh, there were a lot of things that we were trying to get a uh, trying to get across, and and that's why we brought in the special operations because they became experts at potential based hiring out of pure need. It's their default position. And what we're trying to do is basically explain to companies that the most important, the most critical, and the only competitive advantage that you can hope to ever have is your people. And having a talent mindset and focusing everything around people and talent specifically and defining talent is, is what we're trying to do. Making HRTA organizations more strategic and C-suite executives to understand that if you have a sales problem, you have a customer satisfaction problem, if you have a product problem, it all comes down to talent.
0: It sure does. It absolutely does. And uh, George, I'll stick with you for a moment. Um, you <laughs> certainly uh, have. Uh, I know you. You uh, finished your uh, career in the army uh, as a, uh, I believe, a company commander in <laughs> Fort Hood, uh, and uh, so you know a thing or two about uh, about people. So, how did the lessons from your military service translate into uh, into the uh, direct services and consulting? Uh, that you're providing for your clients that you have overwatched
3: well so there there are a couple things and and i love that question because mike and i both believe that we came from the world's greatest leadership incubator the u.s military there's no better place to learn leadership and live in the fishbowl of being a leader than the u.s military where whichever branch that you're serving in whichever function that you're serving in and one of the great things that you learn is how to build how to mentor how to coach how to train high performing teams that is absolutely critical. That absolutely transitions to the civilian world. And, and lastly, you know, we we understand that it's not about individuals; it's about teams those things directly translate so all of the leadership incubator all of those lessons all of those trials those deployments those challenges the wins the failures they all translate to what we're trying to convey to businesses today and and we're not saying that businesses are doing it wrong we're just saying that in the book we went to great lengths to say you know special operations is the premier example of how to tap into, select, assess, train, mentor, and coach the best talent in the world.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, Mike, back over to you. Uh, so it's interesting. Uh, you guys have been talking, uh, and I've, I've followed uh, some of your work. You've been talking about that uh, that talent war. That's the name of the book. And, uh, and a lot of our listeners are small business owners. So what are some of the baby steps? So what are some of the, the small things that somebody tuning in to get down to business can put in place to make sure that they are attracting the talent that they need, not for the here and now, but for the future and for their, for their potential growth.
5: Well, I, I can tell you this, you can never start soon enough. If you're starting a company and you're a small business owner, this needs to be part of your foundation It's how you bring talent onto the organization and more so how you develop it once you have it and retain it. But I'll tell you what most small business leaders are focused on, hyper-focused on, and that's Sales. It's driving revenue. And so for a lot of them, uh, who they bring onto the team is sort of an afterthought. All they're thinking is, hey, I just need somebody in this seat right now uh, and I need them to perform. It doesn't work that way. The reason the military hires so slowly and and use the SEALs as an example, it's the longest behavioral interview probably in the world. And it's two years long. And even then we get it wrong. Uh, We get it right most of the time. But what a business leader has to do with his... Next, you know, his, let's just say his or her senior leadership team is sit down and have the conversation about who they are as, a, as leaders. What is the foundation, the cultural foundation of their company? And then start putting the processes and procedures in place as they bring talent on. And as you go through that process, just continue to evolve it until you start to get a lot more wins than losses.
0: Wow. Well, it sounds like you guys have had a wild ride and have been helping so many companies, so many uh, talented professionals, um, as you always say on your website, leaders selecting leaders, which is really what it's all about. So on that note, we're going to squeeze in a quick break and more from uh, the wonderful leadership team at EF Overwatch. When we return, George Randall, Mike Torelli will join us uh, to continue the conversation in just a moment. And on that note of everything that we're talking about, uh, be sure to check out my other podcast called We All Serve, where I interview military leaders about their leadership lessons that they've learned in uniform. That podcast available forever. your favorite podcast can be found. We'll be right back and get done. To back with Mike Spirelli and George Rendell from EF Overwatch. We were just talking offline, uh, you know, retired Navy SEAL, retired uh, army uh captain uh and uh they came together and wrote a book uh the talent war and started a company ef overwatch um and a lot of success stories so let's talk about some of those um you have been involved in executive search so uh so guys tell me tell me a little bit about some of your successes and positions that you've helped to fill for uh for amazing uh, corporations out and about across our great country
5: well, you, know, George and I have a just fundamental belief that small to, to mid-sized uh, business leaders are just good Americans. One, it's the backbone. Uh, I think something like 99.7% of all businesses are, are fall in the classification of small to mid-sized businesses. We've placed from CEO down to general managers. At the end of the day, what we're looking for is really the high performers coming out of every single community in the military, whether it's Army, Cavalry, or, or Navy, Surface Warfare, Uh, We're looking for military leaders that have just that substantial leadership uh, experience under their belts. Usually the ranks, if we want to put it into perspective that way, usually E-7s to E-9s and O-3s and above is really where where we uh, we dabble. People that are capable of stepping into a chief operating officer position for a small consulting firm of 20 people to bring those leadership abilities. Now, the heart of the book we wrote, uh, The Town War, is hired for character. Trained for skill, while our leaders lack industry experience, that's that's the least of your concerns. What they bring far outweighs that industry experience. They know how to lead people. They know how to coach. They know how to mentor. They know how to set objectives, orient people, and then get them moving in that direction to achieve those goals.
0: Wow, that's 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 exciting. So uh, success stories, any that any that uh, you guys can share?
5: Oh, there, there's there's uh, there's many. Um, you know, a good one is Dan Bradley, Air Force Academy. 03 special tactics officer. And he put, uh, you know, we, we walk the veterans through how to prepare to win. And before he was even out, I think about two months before he was, uh, he was going to be discharged. He put all the work he'd prepared and he had secured a VP role of sales for a construction firm. Uh, and he didn't have to worry. He had two months of serving and then he knew he was guaranteed a very senior job with a very lucrative salary. And he's just been crushing it, uh, again, despite any industry experience whatsoever.
0: That's awesome. So, uh, George, uh, as we run out of time over here, I want to make sure our listeners know where they can get in touch with you and your team, um, whether it's a company looking for talent, uh, leaders um, that are looking for their next big opportunity, or just to have a conversation with two, uh, two awesome uh, veterans that are making a big difference in, uh, in the world. And of course, where can people find your book?
3: Well, you can find the book anywhere books are sold. Most people go to Amazon, The Talent War, How Special Operations and Great Organizations Win on Talent. You can find us at EFOverwatch.com, Mike at EFOverwatch.com, George at EFOverwatch.com. Please connect with us on LinkedIn. We have a lot of material in the talentwargroup.com. We have an amazing group of additional speakers, uh, senior leaders that are are doing some amazing work, uh, driving leadership topics, but very easy to reach us, very responsive. We'd love to hear from you, and especially veterans, because we believe that we prepare veterans to transition better than anybody else.
0: Okay, final and most important question for both of you. What happens in the office on the day of the Army-Navy game?
5: Well, usually we watch Army get destroyed by the uh, the glorious midshipmen of the uh, the Naval Academy. Uh, uh, you, we have good fun. We, we have good fun. At the end of the day, those are just, you know... Awesome Americans that fill the stadium. Those are awesome Americans on the field. Mm-hmm. And regardless of who wins, we are one nation uh, under one flag. Can't George, I'm
0: with your brother that. and, <laughs> and we, we, the army. Army crushed Navy this past year, but that's right that it, it is one team, one fight over here. And uh, absolutely thrilled to be joined by the wonderful team from E. F. Overwatch, Mike Sorelli, George Randall. Thank you so much for joining us we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship check out my website shalomplan.com where you can download podcasts from the past seven plus years of shows to success let's get down to business